Welcome back to The Wine Show on Inner FM. We are about to be joined by our next guest. Brody, who have we got? We have Ashley Ratcliffe from Ricoterra Farms in the Riverland. So grower and now makes wine of many alternative varietals. Excellent. Uh, so we'll say good morning, Ashley. Morning. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Hi, Ash. Good. How are you, Brody? Good, good. Thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Um, so today we've been talking to, we actually we're talking to Brendan from Unico Zello um, about alternative varietals and uh, grape varieties that sort of grow well in uh, heat and are drought resistant. And that's something that you sort of have been doing a lot of at Ricoterra. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I've been, I mean, uh, just my history, I've been a bit, uh, you know, I've been uh, working lumber for 15 years. One of the areas that I looked after was uh, the research and development, so viticulture. We spent a lot of time trying to send rootstocks and varieties of better suited to uh, you know, the arid right regions of Australia, like the Riverland and Mildura, and uh, also Griffiths. So kind of during the droughts, we sort of worked out what rootstocks were best and um, what signs or what varieties were best for them as well, and sort of came up with a, with a sort of a good little a mixture of uh, varieties and rootstocks that perform well under drought conditions. And do you think that's something moving forward that we're going to be facing across Australia is more and more um, drought conditions? Oh, look, I, I sort of have a view on um, climate change and drought is that uh, you don't want to look back and whether you believe it or not, um, you don't want to look back and go and wish I made some changes. So our view is that you know Australia's always had drought and with the, an increasing pressure on the Murray Darling for water, you're better off sort of spending time working out what varieties do perform really well in, in those regions at the top of time for drought. So, but yeah, I do, I do think it's going to become more and more problem for growers. Um, so, in your region, what great varieties are, are you finding are growing well for you? Uh, we're probably one of the large growers of Narrow Avenue. We find Narrow Avenue quite a good variety um, for. I guess what we're looking for in our region are varieties that are vigorous. If they're vigorous, that means the best way to control vigour is to reduce water. So things like Meridabla do very well. Vermentino do very well in our region. Um, Montepulciano, a lot of the Italian varieties do, do well. And we're just about to uh, we just find a number of Portuguese varieties as, as our sort of next wine brand that we're about to uh, launch. And I'm really interested in seeing how some of those go. And already things like um, Tariga, uh, Trincadera, Zayo, um, Rintos, all very good varieties uh, in, in the inland region. And they're so great for drinking in our climate as well, aren't they? Well, Brody, that's what I was going to say. It's, uh, that's the most important thing. It's, it's, I'm not a grape grower, I'm a wine grower, so I do need to think about you know what sort of styles of wine they're going to make. Um, so tell us a bit more about the Portuguese varieties that you're growing. Well, just sort of, we've got nearly 35 different varieties, and most of them are Italian, and I just decided one day that what would be next, um, obviously there's a lot of people planting Greek varieties, but I I think one of the challenges for Greek varieties is how to pronounce the name. So <laughs> I, just, I just had a bit of a look around and started, I'm, obviously a lot of people are planting Cariga, and uh, we've got a bit of Cariga in, and then Pinsacao, um, you know, so things like Trincadera and uh, Paoletta are two varieties that I, I don't think there is a commercial wine out there at the moment, or a wine, a commercial wine, 
um, from Australian cricket. I could be wrong, but uh, look, they're really interesting, and and we're uh, we're going to sort of peel them out. With, uh, we've already got a Ricketera's already got a Rinto and a Tinta Barocca, so we're going to peel them out of our Ricketera range and put them into uh, into the new range. I noticed uh, one way you get around uh, grape pronunciation is just giving your names, like your wine's kooky names. Um, that, that, that might be a good way to go forward. Well, we've got a variety called Schlenker Manka Bella, and, <laughs> and um, uh, the people who make the wine from that so grape call it Bella. It's pretty simple. So, yeah, you're right. You can get, and we've got uh, a number of our wines are in blends, alternatives, so we've called the things like Bullets for Cannonballs and Bronto Buster and Daisy Chain and Color Carmen. So we sort of try to get around some of the, you know, some of the harder Italian uh, varietals and, and their pronunciation by just putting them into blends as well. It's it's true though. I mean, people still find wine confronting and intimidating, and nobody's going to, or not many people are going to make a fool of themselves trying to pronounce big long names. And that old um, point point to the wine list doesn't look very edifying when you're at a um. I mean, most people are fine with it, right? Soms don't care, but people feel silly doing that. Yeah, they do, and and that's where you have to make it easy for them. I know you do need to think about, you know, the, the end consumer and how to make them comfortable. Um, and the last thing you want to do is, is put a wine out there that's very difficult to pronounce, um, and people will just go, "Well, I'd like to try it, or I don't know anything about it. I'm just going to, you know, go with something that's safe like that, like Chardonnay." Uh, so, do you think you will have a go with the Greek varieties at some point? Uh, I think so, um, but I mean, with we really have to sort of focus. So, uh, you know, for us, we've got we're going to get in the Portuguese tracks, and we've put in a um, we have even got a little bit of French. We've got a lot of French varieties, um, not for the uh, our own brand, uh, mainly. You know, I mean, our business is uh, has two sort of sides of it. One is you know large production, sub ten dollars that we sell to Treasury and the Alumba and Angos and etc. And then we have uh, you know our small specified uh, specific alternative varieties that we have for a lot of the smaller producers. So the French variety that we've got, uh, we've broken the rule, which uh, is Grenache Blanc. And I, I think that's a great variety and it's got a huge future in Australia. And what, what makes you say that? It just really... Well, one, we've only had one vintage of it um, and it makes... Where a lot of the whites we're making at the moment, they seem to have a lot of acid drive and they're real punchy in that area where, where, um, where Grenache Blanc's more broader... Food, wine, um, you know, it could sort of, sort of it, it sort of goes down that real sort of Malawi Chardonnay sort of uh, style. So, which is a bit of a surprise to us, uh, and I just think it really handles the heat really well as well. I mean, it comes from south, south of uh, the southern parts of France, so uh, it does well. And I just think again, Grenache Blanc is something that's easy to pronounce. People know Grenache, and you go, well, we'll try, you know, Grenache Blanc. So, Ashley, you've worked in vineyards, sort of consulting across Australia. Do you? Mm-hmm. And now with growing Portuguese varieties, do you think there's other parts of Australia where um, they would grow well? Look, I think I think all these varieties grow really well in any any region. And I'll, I'll have a disclaimer on that uh, for some. But you know, really, a lot of these uh, new varieties into Australia are new, so we don't know where they grow the best, and so. You know, a lot of people say, well, they'll go really well in the Riverland. Well, I know they go well in the Barossa, and I know they will go well, go potentially well in the Yarra Valley. There are some varietals that you need to, and and region match that you need to be careful. So, 
you know, something that's late, uh, something like Montepulciano, you might need to be careful putting that into a really cool area because you might just run out of uh, time to get it to get it ripe and you can get some really green characters out of that. You know, Nerid Avila, if you don't get that right, um, well, the problem is that you will, um, you know, you get, they're quite thin-skinned varieties. If you grow it, grow them um, too, if in a site that's too aggressive and too fertile, you might find that you've got thin skins, you get rain at harvest, you know, you know what's going to happen, it's going to rot. But then, you know, in the Riverland, you know, things like the grain that performs really well, I mean, that's from northern Italy, so it's quite cool. So, uh, and we find the grain works very well. And what do you attribute that to? Is that a soil thing or is it just a quite a versatile variety in terms of climates it can be grown in? I think it's just very versatile. I mean, for me, it's more along, more about the hang time. How long do you have to hang a grape out there? And like I said, Montepulciano is one of the last grape varieties that we pick. And if you're in somewhere like the Adelaide Hills or um, Mornington where, you know, your season comes in, it starts a little later uh, and it finishes uh, a lot earlier because of the, uh, you know, the breaking season. If you've got a variety that's going to hang out there a lot longer, you've got some additional risks that you need to work with. And I guess it's more like probability. The probability of you getting that, that variety spot on um, means that you have to have a long, dry um, vintage. And if you could do that, you're going to nail it. But in some of these regions, the probability of that happening is a lot less than, say, in the Riverland or the Barossa. Um, something that we've talked about before um, was your planting on drought-resistant rootstock. Mm-hmm. Is that something you can tell us a little bit more about? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean uh, the reason why we... we um, I was really, I guess, not frustrated, but um, probably 15 years ago, I could see, I could see a lot of large wine companies pushing growers away from using rootstock such as Ramsey and Regeri. And the reasonings were that you know growers were putting the wines that were making out of that combination uh, were pretty ordinary. I mean, the problem is you've got a rootstock that mines water, especially Regeri and Ramsey, that mines, mines water very well. So if you put a say Shiraz in it, what does talk Shiraz? Um, this period is that you grow big canopies, you grow shaded canopies, and obviously what happens is the fruit uh, growing in that canopy it doesn't have the colour um, and can be pretty poor. So the way that a lot of the uh, larger wine companies did to manage this was they said, okay, we're going to uh, tell growers now to plant on 101, 14 or Swordsman or whatever, and of course they, they, they don't mind water as well. And that's all great, but when you're growing in a desert like you know, some of those inland regions where you get three meals a year, then you get a drought on top of that. You know, you're in, and, and water prices go through the roof. You're all of a sudden in, in a really uh, difficult position. So it was a frustration for me. So then, uh, while I was at Yolumba, um, the governor Fred Strawn and myself uh, challenged this uh, um, for more industry bodies for, for, for research money. We didn't get the support we did, so we at our Oxford Landing Winery, we started to do trials where we said, okay, well, what would be the control? The control's going to be five megs a hectare, and then what we're going to do is start ratcheting it down. So basically, um, you know, three megs, two megs, half a meg. And what we found on our own rooted um, sites and those other poor performing rootstocks that don't mine water, that they really struggled. With Ramsey and the, the, the trial was on Regeri, we found that even at half a meg a hectare, we weren't producing... We're producing better. Um, we're producing commercial crops, but the vine was still alive and still functioning. But at something like two megs, two and a half megs, and three megs, so we're talking nearly half of the control. What we were finding is that we were getting a less less yield 
there's no questioning that. But the quality of the wine was, was you know, tenfold better. So it, it sort of said to me that, you know, rootstock's really important. And if you want to improve, um, if you want to improve your quality, you know, put some of these uh, drought-tolerant rootstocks in, but reduce your water and reduce your fertiliser. And that's a win for everyone. It's a win for the for the grower because he's putting less um, he's putting less inputs in in regards to water water and fertiliser. The winemaker's winning um, because he's getting uh, better quality uh, wine from better grapes, and the environment's winning. The key thing is, is the grower has to be rewarded for it, so you can't keep paying him, um, you know, low prices. So, for me, an alternative variety where I'm not looking for big crops, and I am getting good prices when I sell my fruit to uh, to, to grape uh, to other winemakers, is that we just turn the water off. And um, and look, there's a lot of people saying, look, they can in these areas you can grow grapes with zero water. You can't. Um, you can reduce it significantly. And by reducing it significantly, you're going to improve your um, quality of your, your wine and your fruit. Oh, that's great, Ashley. I, I'm I want to hear heaps more, but we're actually running out of time on the show. We're going to um, oh, okay. start bumping into the uh, the next program. So, look, thank you so much. If people want to find your wines, can we just Google Ricaterra Farms and No, Ricaterra Vintners. It's www. And um, yeah, I'd love to have lots of people drinking them over Christmas. And you got a couple of bottle shops in Melbourne selling your wine? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh, uh, Brody you might have to help me here. Fitzroy Cellars <laughs> and uh, yep. oh, Brunswick Street and Fitzroy. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. There you go. That's a that's a good start. Um, Ashley, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back on because I think we just hit a like a chord right at the end of there, and um, we'll talk more about that. Good on you. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Bye. All right. That was Ashley from Ricaterra uh, Vintners, and talking about you know what what he does. So it sounds amazing.